With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. What a crazy time to be alive. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. From the Rocky Mountains of Denver, Colorado, my name is Charlie Robinson. Thanks for hanging out and getting weird with me for the next hour. If you want to connect with me directly, you can do so via email, charlierobinson at tntradio.live. You can follow me on Twitter at macroaggressions or go to my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com to find out more about what I am up to. But why don't we start with the headlines for today, Monday, December 18th, 2023. Crane moved into Arlington Cemetery for removal and destruction of Civil War Reconciliation Memorial. Oh, finally, finally we fixed racism and all it took was removing a statue from a cemetery and uh, destroying it. I wish there was a term for this. If, when, when you do things like this, I would, oh yes, Marxism. Marxism it is. And Karl Marx was such a success uh, after all. Also, Pope Francis officially approves priests blessing same-sex couples. You know, he's so progressive, this this um, this pope, um, you know, when he isn't authorizing the disappearances of nuns during Operation Condor. You can you can catch my episode on macroaggressions this Wednesday where I unpack all of Francis, Pope Francis, otherwise known as Jorge Bergoglio's crimes against humanity. There's many. Uh, don't miss that one. And here's a fun one from Gateway Pundit. And you're going to need to listen to this headline maybe twice. Louisiana woman... Her three husbands and uncle arrested for heinous crimes linked to witchcraft, Satanism, and Vikingism. Uh, First thing, got to be honest, a little surprised this didn't happen in Florida. I mean, Louisiana's plenty weird, maybe second on the list, but this had Florida written all over it. And second, I might be thinking the same thing you're thinking. What exactly do you think Vikingism is? I don't know. It sounds kinky. Uh, and finally, from Zero Hedge, virtue unsignaled. San Francisco halts reparations office due to budget cuts. Oh, boy. It's almost as if uh, these ideas just fizzle and and, uh, uh, run out of steam. Uh, Listen, London, uh, Mayor London Breed, mayor of the city of San Francisco, has been talking about this for years now. She's out of her mind. She wants to pay reparations to to people in uh, California. I think it's very interesting. You want money paid to people who were never slaves from tax dollars collected from people who never owned slaves in a state that never even had slaves, right? Am I am I getting this right? This, how did an idea this amazing um, not make it across the finish line? It's very weird. Well, when you dig into it, what you'll find is that San Francisco really had no choice but to junk this whole thing. They're they're on the precipice of slashing seventy five million dollars from next year's budget. And this is just one of the things that has to go. Um, yes, of course, you could get rid of Drag Queen Story Hour, but you know what fun would that be? Uh, but when you have the opportunity to remove the reparations component from your uh, budget for next year, you're going to have to go ahead and do that, especially when you hear some of the math behind it. And 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 
this this logic and I use the term logic very loosely in this in this uh, um, case. The logic is that they are going to pay people um, for the crimes that were committed back in the mid 1800s. Um, very noble, very nice of them. I'm not quite sure exactly how they're going to make all of the genealogy components work to this. But I mean, let's not get bogged down in details because it doesn't matter because it's never going to happen anyway. But I have to tell you what they proposed because it is so preposterous. $5 million lump sum paid to each eligible person. And there are some criteria, which I'm sure you could probably fake. Um, plus $97,000 a year for the individual every year for the next 250 years. <laughs> so uh, no sales tax for the next 250 years. I, I wonder if the the fine print says you have to actually live for the next 250 years. I wonder if they, they worked that out, but there's no home renter or commercial insurance. That'll all be paid by the city or well, it's going away. And they proposed that they were going to allow people to sell condos for $1. $1. Now, I have worked in real estate for 25 years. I hold a broker's license in the state of California. And I can tell you right now that if you are selling condos for $1, there is a huge stipulation uh, attached to that. And it's probably also illegal. So, oh, never let a dumb crisis uh, go to waste in California. One of my favorite targets. Hey, if you missed your favorite TNT radio show or interview, simply listen back when you want, whenever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT radio website. We are also on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. Now, there is no reason to miss out on anything on TNT Radio. It's the stuff. It's that division. People are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to a new report from Wired, the mega-wealthy founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, is building a top-secret doomsday bunker with its own sources of food and energy within a sprawling $100 million compound in Hawaii, leading to speculation that the meta-CEO has some sort of inside scoop on a pending doomsday. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Hey, Ruckus, I saw this... Uh, I saw this headline and it made me laugh. Uh, what is old Zuck up to in Hawaii these days? Well, yeah, there's a lot of question about what a lot of millionaires and billionaires are doing in Hawaii these days. But perhaps that's a story for another day. Um, he, uh, Zuck, that is, of course, has reportedly started work on this $100 million family compound in Hawaii. Uh, it will reportedly include a 5,000 square foot underground bunker featuring an escape hatch and a tunnel leading to two connecting mansions. It really kind of sounds fun. Uh, of course, Zuckerberg is not the first billionaire uh, to prepare in anticipation for doomsday. Uh, but, of course, the news and absolute secrecy on the part of the CEO already receiving ample public reactions on various social media platforms is not helped, Charlie, by the fact that this news is timed with the release of that film, Leave the World Behind, with its shady associations with the Obamas. Uh, and it's currently streaming, I believe, on Netflix. But the movie predicts an apocalypse at the global level. Does Zuckerberg know something we don't? Uh, so his little uh, 
bunker, doomsday bunker. It's located on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. Kauai. I I knew I should have brushed up on this. Kauai. And is so secretive uh, that I can't say the name of the island. Uh, No, it's so secretive that carpenters, electricians, and other contractors are muzzled by non-disclosure agreements, according to the report by Wired. Um, One former employee told Wired, quote, it's Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. Anything posted from here, they get wind of it right away, And end quote. The compound stretches uh, approximately 1,400 acres on land that Zuckerberg began buying in August of 2014. A spokeswoman for the billionaire told Wired that he and his wife, Priscilla Chan, spent 170 million smackaroonies to purchase the property, which they view as their family home, uh, known as Kulau Ranch, uh, K-O-O-L-A-U, for those of you who want to send me an email and tell me how horribly I'm pronouncing everything here. Uh, The compound reportedly produces its own energy and water supplies, and on-site ranching and farming can provide the food. The property will include more than a dozen buildings with at least 30 bedrooms and 30 bathrooms combined, according to Wired. Uh, They were citing, uh, looking at property records and uh, based on interviews with unidentified contractors uh, to, yeah, how well is that non-disclosure agreement working when they can just talk to you uh, unidentified? Two mansions at the center of the compound will total about 57,000 square feet of living space and 11 disc-shaped tree houses that will be connected by rope bridges. That really does sound fun. The property will be dotted with guest houses and will include a large building with a gym, pools, sauna, hot tub, and tennis court. Everything a billionaire needs to wait out the uh, apocalypse, of course. We're gonna have living spaces, a mechanical room, a metal door filled with concrete, you know, protection. Many of the compound's doors will be soundproofed and operated by keypads. Uh, that way they don't have to hear the screaming uh, plebes, let us in, let us in. Some of the passages, such as a quote-unquote blind door in the library, will be designed to resemble walls. So they got secret compartments, secret passages. Uh, dozens of cameras, of course, will be stationed around the property. Uh, and just one small operations building uh, will have more than 20 cameras. Um, Wired based its cost of $100 million estimate on building permits, saying the actual figure will likely be higher. The outlet stated, quote, the cost rivals that of the largest private personal construction projects in human history, end quote. Wow. So this is a big one, Charlie. But what do you think about this? Wow is right. I mean, I guess if I had Zuck's money, I probably would be looking to buy assets such as that. I would look to someplace beautiful. It does sort of rub me the wrong way with with the Cohen, you know, the coinciding with the release of this new movie on Netflix. We know about Zuckerberg and and Meta in general having a revolving door between the Obama White House and 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 what used to be Facebook now Meta. A ton of Obama staffers, once he left office, took uh, high-ranking positions within Meta. And so I'm not too surprised that there's maybe some uh, coordination going on. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for this one just a little bit because it does require us to speculate. But hey, listen, Peter Thiel bought a, a huge compound in New Zealand with its own private airstrip and things like that. This is not the first time Ted Turner owns, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of acres of land in America. This is not the first time billionaires have gone on on retail residential buying sprees where they're looking to uh, create compounds. But this is the first time it's really uh, timed to uh, arrive at your your inbox news feed about the same time as this uh, movie to in encouraging people or painting a picture of a future scenario in which people are going to want to get as far away from each other as possible. You think Zuck's going to make room for us in one of those uh, circular rope bridged treehouse places or nah? Well, actually, it might coincide with the release of his uh, – he's trying to build the virtual – the VR world, the metaverse or whatever, right? Meta, that's why he renamed his company that. So maybe he's betting big that maybe he can be like, hey, when you uh, when you download your avatar into the program, if you're like uh, – they'll have a raffle, Charlie, see? And if your, your avatar name gets tapped on the shoulder like an esoteric secret society kind of thing, then you get a, get to stay at the guest house when the doomsday comes. So – Maybe it'll be like a um, a publicity stunt on his part. But you did you brought up a good point, and and I do have some more information about a couple other billionaires who act this way. Um, Reddit's CEO Steve Huffman has been doing this for a while. Apparently, um, he's been hoarding firearms, ammunition, and motorcycles, uh, predicting various threats of various kind. We've got Sam Altman of OpenAI has apparently accumulated gas masks, antibiotics, gold, and weapons. Um, and then uh, let's see, LinkedIn uh, co-founder Reid Hoffman uh, believes most of the billionaires from Silicon Valley have, quote, some form of apocalypse insurance, including underground bunkers, end quote. So I guess it's a known thing, Charlie. And yes, there's no way. I was only halfway joking when I said the only reason for his doors to be soundproofed is to drown out the sounds of the plebes trying to get in. That's probably a reality. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably is. Listen, I don't need to have gold and silver and gas masks and food and all that stuff buried. All I need to know is where Sam Altman lives, right? That's all you need to know is it, <laughs> where the person down the street from you who is prepping. Yeah, you better uh, listen. I think we owe the preppers an apology. They're a little weird and, and you know, they sound they sound kooky from time to time, but they are right. Man, it is really a good idea to be proactive when it comes to things like this. Now, I don't know how long they plan to ride out the apocalypse or I don't know what sort of advanced information these guys have. But but it doesn't make me feel particularly great when the guy that runs OpenAI is planning for a zombie apocalypse. It kind of makes me feel like he knows something we don't know. Is that the case? Maybe? Ugh. I don't know. Always. Yeah. Makes me worry, Charlie. Every yeah, time. it makes me it makes me worry too. Thanks, Ruckus. I'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks for the thanks for the news. Hey, I've got Ricky Verandas coming up in the second part of the hour. You can catch his show, The Ripple Effect Podcast, and also my a show that he and I do co together called The Union of the Unwanted. But after this break, we're gonna be back with Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. This is TNT Radio. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was 
quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called misinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around. So that's not really taking off the way they want to either. And then she said something very interesting. She said, you know what, when the water crisis comes, people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water. And if you don't have water for a few days at a time, you'll know all about it. So maybe, you know, we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's, what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a World Economic Forum type narrative. Could this be what it is? Locked and loaded with Rick Mon on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism, but the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. And I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We are back with the Charlie Robinson Show. My first guest is the host of Liberty Lockdown. He is the co-host of The Best Political Show. You can find that at thebestpoliticalshow.com that he does with Luke Rudowski. And you can follow him on Twitter at Liberty Lock Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, Clint Russell. Hey, Clint, good to see you again. How are you? Charlie Robinson. I'm feeling good, man. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being on. Whenever I want to talk finances and financial crimes and, and the like, you're one of my favorite people to talk to about that due to your 
um, very long and successful career in the financial services industry. And uh, when you're able to retire in your early 40s, that is usually a sign that you know what you're talking about. And so I always like to talk to you about things like ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And this is such a dumb idea that only the United States government could be behind something as diabolical as this. Um, what do we make of this? I've, I'm looking back now. Now we have a little bit of hindsight. We can, we can go take a look at the stock prices of some of these companies and what they've been doing over the years. And so let's use Disney as an example. We go back and, and I know the ESG concept started quite, you know, several years before this, but if we, if we use January of 2021, as the barometer and take a look at where Disney's stock was at that point before they started the woke movies that lost them a billion dollars before they started destroying the star Wars franchise and, and all of these, their stock price was $189 a share as it stands today. It's 93. That is just about 50%. They have lost $170 billion in market capitalization at some point. Doesn't somebody on the board of directors have to stand up and say, this is crazy. This cannot go on the way it's going on. I have stock options. You have stock options. We have a vested financial interest in forget. Let's just take even, you know, you have a duty to your to your shareholders to make the best product ever. Let's just say their entire reason for existing was just to make money. How can they justify losing half of their value of their company by chasing these woke ideals that don't even make sense and don't seem to be anchored in reality? Well, you you hinted at it. Uh, basically, without saying as much, you referenced fiduciary duty. And this is the reason that I, I got hot on the trail of ESG a couple of years ago is because I was a fiduciary. As a money manager, I, I knew that that's you have to put the interests of your investors above your own. That's a basic, you know, money management uh, 101 philosophy. But it's also the law. It's it's illegal to do otherwise. And and this is why when I started to see all this woke advertising, woke woke movies, and and I knew that it wasn't really popular amongst their their core customer base. I was like, okay, this is obviously a, a top-down dictate that's coming in because there's no there's no way in a free market that this would be occurring and then i realized that it was you know a world economic forum united nations plot to essentially implement uh you know, government with working in partnership with private businesses allegedly and and essentially it was a backdoor to fascism and and I'm just very grateful that we still have enough of a free market that companies like Disney are able to be punished for producing products that their customers aren't interested in, which is what we ought to see when you when you put out a bunch of stuff that people don't want to watch and you have a dozen flops over the past couple of years, your market cap ought to be cut in half. That's that's the free market at work. So I from from my vantage point, I'm very optimistic actually because even even yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Harvard started to remove a bunch of the DEI pages from their website, uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, which is essentially the academia version of ESG. Uh, so I think that this fight is, is being won. I think that there is major litigation threat and risk against the, the biggest uh, proponents of ESG. Uh, BlackRock being at the top of that list, but you know Vanguard, State Street, all these guys had their their hands in the mix. So I think we're winning this fight, but 
they are they are clearly going to have to pivot because I think before before we take a victory lap, we need to understand that whether it has a three letter acronym or not, this is a philosophy. Like this is, in my opinion, it's a cult religion, and it's not going to go away just because you get them to run away from the ESG or the DEI label. They still believe in identitarian politics and divide and conquer tactics, and we need to be on guard even if ESG and DEI ultimately perish. Yeah. And and hopefully they will, but it seems like they've got a, a nice fund of money in which they can dip into that uh, whether it's the Biden administration or whether it's some, the World Economic Forum partnership groups, they have uh, a little bit of extra money that in case, you know, you find yourself in a in a bind where your your ideas don't don't match up with with the perception that your customer base was hoping for and, and your revenue falls. Well, here we have this pot of money that we can sort of help make you whole. The irony is you're going to need it. Right. <laughs> when we when you when you when you destroy your own brand, uh, wouldn't it just be smarter for them to to do nothing and not need this emergency fund and keep the brands going the way they're going? Or is that just not even an option now? Are they is you mentioned that I might have already you might have already answered this and you mentioned top down. This feels like this isn't coming this isn't the idea of the of the companies themselves, right? This is coming from external sources someplace else. Yeah. Well, it's it's primarily coming from the the Larry Finks of the world, the the guys who have at their disposal or at their direction, rather, tens of trillions of dollars. And when you're talking that sum of money, you have a, an outsized influence on the broader economy. And what the what the ESG overlords were saying is that they wanted to see more and more of this DEI ESG type of worldview pushed into every single corporation that they were going to invest in. Not not some, but all of them. They wanted to see it everywhere. <laughs> they wanted to see every single business on earth alleviating income inequality and racism and sexism and homophobia and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it was so, so ridiculous and, and so you know, globalist. Um, so yeah, it's, it, they, the, the reason that it, it persisted was that the incentive early on was that you have these guys with tens of trillions of dollars that are saying, Hey, if you do this, it'll help your, your bottom line, it'll help your market cap. That was the reason that, that it began, but ultimately it, it, it produced a product that didn't have an end customer. <laughs> so, yeah. so it, it, you know. It appeared early on that it was actually a benefit to these CEOs to go along with it. I think many of them, if they're not being fired, are are looking in the mirror and saying, "Is this actually beneficial to our to our company, or has the paradigm shifted?" And I think it's the latter. Yeah, we'll be back with uh, more with Clint Russell after this break. Was we'll just uh, dip out for a second for a quick one minute news break. We'll be right back. And action. The news. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News. This is James O'Neill. President Joe Biden was startled when a car collided with an SUV in his motorcade in Wilmington, Delaware. The U.S. Senate is set to return to Capitol Hill on Monday to resume negotiations on a package to fund Ukraine and secure the southern border, even with House lawmakers out of town. 
Former President Donald Trump is dominating the Republican primary polls with 69% support among GOP voters, according to a recent Fox News survey. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. We're back with Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. We're talking about ESG scores, and I think no company had it worse over the past year than Bud Light. They certainly did get the treatment and um, and Target as well. But um, I wonder if uh, there's another company that's just made the headlines again, and that is FTX. FTX plans to exit bankruptcy. They're talking about how they have 50 investors that are owed 3.1 billion and then another 9 million investors that are owed a collective $5 billion. Clint, what's the what's the strategy for FTX moving forward? Do you think that's even, um, you know, is there enough wiggle room here to make everybody whole? Are they going to be issuing no. free haircuts to investors? How's this thing going to play out? Well, I, honestly, this is breaking news to me. I hadn't even heard that they were attempting to come out of bankruptcy. Uh, look, that brand is dead. I mean, it's deader than dead. So I have no idea why, even if you want to reorganize, why you wouldn't uh, change the brand name because FTX is the, I mean, it is a nuclear bomb of a brand. So I have no idea why, why or how they think that they're going to pull this off. Uh, but I wish them luck. I, I mean, I, I hope that they, they make whole as many of their investors as humanly possible uh, but clearly there was massive fraud that was being ran and i don't think that they're going to be able to make the vast majority of people anywhere close to whole so yeah it's going to be a haircut and a brand annihilation and if you think you're going to come back out after being a ponzi scheme and and reinstill faith in the market that you are a a player that is worth uh you know investing a penny in Good luck. I think you're totally out of your mind. Yeah, that's the Federal Reserve's job, right? To run <laughs> yes, that exactly. Ponzi scheme. <laughs> um, if you don't, if you don't have a monopoly on the creation of money, uh, you can't pull this off. Sorry, Sam Bankman Fried, it ain't gonna happen. Sorry, yeah, it's a problem. Well, since we're both ex-Californians that escaped this, uh, the the hellscape. Uh, well, it used to be a beautiful state, I should say, until until it got it didn't get struck by locusts or or the big one, the big earthquake that they had, they had promised us for a long, long time. Instead, it got it got struck down by primarily democratic policies definitely bordering on the edge of insanity and now we have the leader of all of this uh, uh stupidity gavin newsom talking about how he wants to become the president of the united states clint if somebody offered you their resume and the resume listed all of the things that have happened to california over the last 20 years while you have been in some in control in some form or fashion be it the san francisco board of supervisors or the lieutenant governor or actually the governor now um would you just file this in the circular um file next to your desk or would you even entertain bringing somebody in to talk about their quote qualifications on becoming president if california is what you have to offer if gavin newsom thinks he's going to be president of the united states the only thing he's qualified for is an, is an insane asylum i mean <laughs> he is out of his mind <laughs> he was the mayor of san francisco during the, that destructive phase he was the governor of california during lockdowns and that implosion uh no 
he doesn't have uh, if if he has a shot i'll say this if he has a shot at being the president of the united states then you could just forget about america it's over i mean this guy this guy is as dangerous a politician as there is you think joe biden's bad oh my goodness i mean there's ineptitude there's uh you know senility <laughs> there's there's bad policy making and then there's gavin newsom gavin newsom is a special breed of evil so if if he is by some miracle becomes the president of the united states well not it's not a miracle by some curse he becomes the president of the united states uh yeah i'm gonna be looking at becoming an expat <laughs> he is yeah. so dangerous man yeah he really is and but but here's the good news they could just pretend they could just say every day is a day that g is coming into town and then he could clean up the <laughs> the country in advance of that like he did with san francisco because that was a hell of a magic trick he did where did those people go do we know in san francisco because no. when she came to town there wasn't a homeless person in sight were they relocated to alcatraz i mean what is what what do you suppose what, what? Do you suppose happened in san francisco I mean, this is the thing that a lot of people don't know. There is tremendous amounts of homeless housing. Like there's housing uh, developments. The the homeless don't want to be there because in, in order to be there, they can't do drugs, or at least it's harder to, to do drugs. So they, they would rather be on the street. Uh, so I would imagine that they just used the police and they forced them. They said, look, our our actual Lord Emperor is is arriving here soon and you're going to need to disappear for 48 hours. And that's what they did. Uh, otherwise you go to jail and you know this is what's so insulting to the people of california is that they they pretend as if this problem can't be dealt with and it absolutely can be dealt with it just requires a level of state force that you know they're not they're not comfortable uh projecting but in the the aftermath of that refusal you have homeless encampments all throughout every major city in california that is making the vast majority of people that live there that pay taxes that produce you know wealth and employment and everything else they're looking at around going why am i paying 13 plus percent state income tax to live amongst a bunch of drug addicts and crazy people it's it's totally untenable and i'm i'm one of them so are you i mean we <laughs> we had to get out of there because of it so uh it's it's tragic man i i spent 35 years there and and i'm i'm heartbroken to see it but it is what it is and they they get what they what they wanted yeah i spent 35 years there as well and it, and it and for those that are unfamiliar with california it has 50% of all the homeless people in america are located in the state of california it's a beautiful state it has some great geography you can you know and the and and it was always a little liberal in places like santa monica where they had uh, policies that would allow the homeless to camp there and so you you've you felt a little bit of this but boy it has really ramped up i remember back in uh, college at usc you would see the white van come around every now and then it would stop and the back would open you know they would guy kind of open up the back and pull all these people up they were people that had been they were being relocated from the insane asylums. They were just dropping them off on the streets. And, and, you know, you, you, you know, we're at a point now where this is its policy. You know, I think they were doing that in the cover of darkness, you know, when nobody was watching its policy, but uh, it's, it's a damn shame. Um, what are you and Luke up to over on the best political show? Uh, this is, you know, I love Luke and, uh, and you and Luke together. What a combo. What are you guys, what are you two lunatics uh, up to? Yeah, it's been amazing, man. Uh, we had Vivek Ramaswamy in studio last month. We've had a bunch of bunch of phenomenal guests, a bunch of big guests coming up too. I, I've loved it. We, it's basically for those that are familiar with Timcast IRL, it's essentially that, but in Miami, uh, we have usually one or two 
uh, guests come in every night. We do it three days a week. Uh, we just signed a deal on November 1st to go exclusive on Rumble for one hour a night in prime time following Glenn Greenwald. And it's been very, very successful. We've only been doing it a couple months, but uh, the, the future looks bright. And uh, anytime any high-profile folks come through Miami, hit me up. That's that's what we're doing. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm extremely happy for the two of you. I like you guys a lot. I respect your work. That's fantastic. For people that want to go and learn more about it, thebestpoliticalshow.com is the place to do it. And I would tell you, if you're on Twitter, you, you should follow Clint. At Liberty Lock Pod is the place to do that as well. Uh, Clint, see you next time. Maybe I'll see you on TimCast one of these nights. You seem to always kind of pop in and out over there. Uh, Absolutely, brother. Appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. That's Clint Russell, everybody. Uh, Big thanks to him. On the other side of this break, we've got Ricky Verandas from The Ripple Effect. This is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Stop letting leftists set the agenda. Stop letting them turn nothing burgers into the most pressing issues of the day. Stop letting them use words like inclusion, equity, fairness, and diversity as cudgels to beat you into submission. Stop bowing, stop scraping, stop bending the knee, and stop giving them what they desire, an abject apology, assuring them that they'll get their way and everything will be fine. Because it won't be fine. That won't be the last complaint. Every time you submit to them, you encourage them. You give them more fuel for their next attack. And it will go on for decades. The Onondaga Nation complained to Syracuse University about the Saltine Warrior mascot in 1978. And here we are, 45 years later, the Onondaga Nation is complaining to Liverpool High School about using Warriors as their athletic mascot. For 45 years it was fine, but now all of a sudden in 2023 it's not. Stop giving in to this culture of destruction. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. If you can't believe what you're hearing, get the straight talk from Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We are back. My next guest is the host of the Ripple Effect podcast. He's my co-host on the Union of the Unwanted. You can check out his work wherever podcasts are served. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Ricky Verandas. Hey, Ricky, good to see you again. How are you, man? What's up, Charlie? Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Uh, you and I were were chatting before the show started about what was going on with RFK Jr. He was over on Breaking Points with Sagar and uh, Crystal Ball. And um, th- that ha- this interview happened, I think, last week. And it's still getting a lot of play. Boy, it was interesting to to watch that. I I you know you and I have gotten into these rabbit holes with with regard to vaccine safety, and when you do that, uh, and and of course, obviously the COVID situation that we've we've experienced the last couple of years, when you do that, you wind up in the orbit of RFK Jr. 
just on some level. And and he had always been very great about standing up and speaking out about vaccine dangers and the 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 pharmaceutical industry in general. But boy, he lost me with this Palestine, um, Hamas, uh, Israel situation where he is now. What was your take on this conversation that he had on breaking points with Sagar and Crystal? Well, you know, the the weird part about the whole debate is that I'm, you know, I'm not sure it's as black and white as everybody's making it out to be. Like we have a lot of friends of ours, even on, you know, our show that we host together, the Union of the Unwanted, that seem pretty focused on Israel is always bad, always wrong. And I, you know, even though I, you know, I, I tend to kind of agree with them in most cases um because i am such a fan of robert kennedy jr i i want to hear him out and i that debate that he had with crystal because typically i disagree with crystal and she's the one i disagree with most of the time and rfk is the one that i agree with most of the time and i wanted to see if the roles were going to reverse or what was going to happen hearing them debate and um I, and I just, you know, I just think it's a complex issue. And I am a little concerned about like the fact that, you know, because we understand the power of the Israel lobby, um, you know, we understand, you know, all the, the the history with the Middle East and whatnot, that could we go too far in the right direction where it becomes the wrong direction, right? Where we end up being so anti-Israel that we're almost disregarding you know, the, the horrible things Hamas has done. Right. And I, you know, I, I see it over and over again. It's, it's starting to become a, a little frustrating to just even listen to people debate this issue because it's so obvious people go in with a tribe that they're defending and it becomes almost like the atheist versus, you know, Christian debates, right? Like nobody ever leaves a debate saying, you know what? I see from your point of view now, you know, like, or I'll meet you halfway. It's always like, no, I'm here to defend my team no matter what. And that's kind of what, what I'm seeing with these debates where it's just like, I, I'll watch these debates and even Pierce Morgan's had a lot of people on both sides. And I give him actually a lot of credit for constantly having people from both sides and willing to have conversations with everybody. Obviously, I don't think he's a great guy. Uh, the only thing I like about him is that he also likes Cristiano Ronaldo. But besides that, I'm not a huge fan of him. But he, um, you know, he he's one of those guys where like, OK, at least he's willing to have people on that he disagrees with. He gives them opportunity, even if it's a short opportunity. Uh, he does give them opportunity to uh, state their uh, perspective. But one thing you see over and over again, regardless what podcast or show you're watching, is that somebody will make a valid point. And I wait to see if the other person who, you know, disagrees with them is going to acknowledge a valid point or disregard it and just continue defending their point of view and over and over again you will see these hints of like okay these this person's really not here to understand they're not here to 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 try to uh, meet halfway they're here to defend their team and i see that in all these discussions even with uh the kennedy uh debate that we're talking about on a uh, breaking point similar thing where like kennedy would make some valid points and crystal would disregard it and go back to making her points and then crystal would make a valid point and and actually i saw more of kennedy trying to understand crystal than crystal trying to understand kennedy's 
perspective, but that's because I have very little respect for Crystal. And, um, you know, during the whole COVID uh, era, I mean, it was quite obvious that, you know, that once they have their mindset that they're, you know, they, they're right on a topic, they will rarely ever, uh, you know, consider seeing the other perspective they just go to yeah. defending their team but but what, like what's your thoughts i mean what, what like are, are you seeing kind of the same things i'm seeing are you having similar yeah. feelings yeah it's such a polarizing topic too so it requires you know everyone's like i don't know if i want to weigh in on this because you know it's going to kind of blow up and like you said there's there's teams have been picked already there's very few people that are saying, you know, they're switching sides. I would say, you know, it's open for for debate, obviously. And I think there's there's a this is definitely one that's not going to be solved in like a, you know, a three minute interview that they that they have on national TV. You know, so you've got to really unpack a whole lot of this. But he goes on RFK Jr. goes on to say things like he called the the them pampered Palestinians, you know, and you just go, what are you talking about? This is crazy to me. Like, I, and I understand there's, there's two sides to this and, 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 you know, but any conversation about, about this war that doesn't also include the recognition that Hamas was created by the Israeli Mossad is a conversation probably not worth having. Because if you think that the boogeyman is out to get you, but you don't know that who created the boogeyman, you're really at a disadvantage in the, in the debate because it's such a integral part of this. It's so unusual to have this. Normally you've got one, one team versus the other team, you know, one country versus the other country. But what if in, in fact, and he made this conversation, he made this, this, this uh, comparison, this hypothetical comparison during that conversation. He said, um, talking about what if Mexico goes communist, right? And, and what would you do if Mexico became a communist? It's like, well, I don't know. That would depend. Did the American government secretly install a communist leader into Mexico in order to act as a communist leader and do the sorts of things to America that would rightly uh, end with America retaliating? I mean, if because if that's the case, because that is the case with the Israeli Hamas situation, it's controlled opposition. And when you've got Netanyahu on camera saying, we control the height of the flame, and in as, as recently as four years ago, talking about how we have to support Hamas. So, you know, it's a very gray area here, right? So, so again, and I have no no particular respect for Sagar or Crystal either, because I, I watched, they, I liked them on some things. I didn't like them on other things, but they lost me during COVID, you know, COVID lost, you know, I think a lot of people got lost during that. So, um, Look, I acknowledge that it's a real tough situation to talk about. When you start to get into this, you're bringing, you're not just bringing ethnic boundaries and, and, and you know, uh, country, you know, lines that are drawn for for certain countries. You're also talking about religion too, which makes you know, which is very personal to a lot of people. And so, I don't know that you necessarily get the most uh, objective conversations, especially on the nightly news, when let's be honest, I mean, the role of Israel in controlling American media is well documented and obvious to anybody that has the eyes to see it. So again, I mean, I wonder like how much of these conversations you can even really have on the nightly news. I mean, we saw how you couldn't have night, you couldn't have conversations about, um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because the news media gets 60% of their ad revenue from big pharma and these cures that are three or four cents a dose uh, don't make them any money. So, I mean, it's the same thing, Ricky. Do you think that maybe like 
we're not even equipped currently to have this discussion as long as the media is as consumed by the Israel lobby as it is? Well, it's like that saying, if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. I, I mean, I, I don't even watch the news. I, sometimes I feel like I should, you know, just to see what they're saying. And, and you know, it's, but so I'll walk by the TV when my wife's watching it. And I'll just like kind of pay attention just to kind of see what they're they're saying. But I don't even think I mean, most young people get their news from social media anyway. So, um, you know, staying updated on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, or Facebook. I mean, that's probably a more accurate uh, way of understanding what the media, mainstream media is saying, because, you know, a lot of those platforms have become just echo chambers for mainstream media. Um, but yeah, I mean, these issues are uh, interesting and people have to do a little bit of self-reflecting and and wonder if they're picking a team and not even understanding why they're defending that team or how far are you willing to go to defend that team. One really interesting part of that um, that conversation with Kennedy and uh, and Crystal was when Kennedy at one point, because like I said, like it was quite obvious she wasn't going to she wasn't going to give him credit for any valid point he might have made. Uh, he goes like, what's wrong with uh, uh, with you, Crystal, that you you blame Israel on everything and everything's Israel's fault. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, so you can see she's blinded by her pro-Palestinian point of views but you can't see that you have the same issue but with israel like she he's so blinded by his pro-israel views that he can't like ever admit that they ever do anything wrong ever and and that is concerning you know that but, but i i also am super afraid of the extreme liberal left that is like going in the you know extreme uh uh direction of saying it's okay to you know to, to hate it uh jewish people and to hate israel and you're seeing that too and it's like okay that is i mean i'm not not I'm, and i'm sure i'm not the first one to say this but like that is kind of baby steps into the direction of like what god is world war ii like it starts off with just like calling them the other making them the other and i think we've done the same thing with palestinians right like during the iraq war i mean i was a huge abby martin fan growing up i mean i used to watch breaking the set before going to work every day um and just kind of catch up on the news and uh i you know i was a fan of a lot of people who just happen to be very pro-palestinian and so that absolutely had an influence on my worldview and 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 kind of my my opinion on those conflicts and you know i always struggle to or i always uh attempt to see both sides of the argument but i i definitely saw a lot of really just horrendous things happen to pa palestinians but you know there it doesn't mean that you know i i'm gonna say it's okay to like go to the extreme that you're seeing these professors you know and that's the other thing too like maybe a part of me is still so traumatized by like covid and just how crazy these pro mask pro vaccine people are that if they are agreeing with me i'm starting to second guess where, if i have the right stance on this issue because i'm like wait what's going on here like i maybe i should reconsider my stance on this 
Yeah, when you're when you're agreeing with the Marxist professors at the university, you're like, hang on a second, maybe I might be on the wrong page here too, because these are the authoritarians that wanted everybody locked down and you weren't allowed to talk about it. And now all of a sudden, I find myself in the uh, unusual position of agreeing with them on something. But I agree with you even more, Ricky, which is that the the way through this is not to get on is to not get on your soapbox and say we got to get rid of all of them or othering them. You know, this is the sort of thing that gets you into into uh, situations in which um, you know people are looked at as less than human, and of course that dehumanization is a, is a core component of the the lead up to war and even the the existence and continuation of war. I mean, if if you look at some of the the propaganda from World War II, we we get uh, you know they they said some really horrible things about the Japanese and painted them as monkeys and things like that, and and as a, in an attempt to to take the humanity away from them so that it would be much easier for our troops to kill them or for the general public to get on board with the killing of them, which is disgusting in its own right, too. So we have to be very careful of how how quickly we fall into this camp or that camp. But let's wrap up for the last five minutes on this. Let's talk about what the reality is of RFK Jr.'s presidential run, because he's he's got momentum. He's definitely saying a lot of things that people tend to like, not not everything. I don't think you can, you're, you know, we can't make everybody happy, of course. But do you think um, if he is the proverbial monkey wrench that gets thrown into the elections, who does he hurt more, the Democrats or the Republicans? It's weird because he he has support from both sides, right? Like he has some Republicans that, you know, uh, like him. I've talked to Republicans that seem to like his stance on some things. Uh, I'm sure they love his Israel stance. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, you know, there's people on the left that that like him, too. And, you know, I don't know if you saw in the part in the conversation where they were talking about how, like, Hannity turned on him and, yeah. you know, once he wasn't a Democrat because you know they're hoping he'd take votes away from from Biden. So I'm like curious like how many people, how many Republicans will still continue to say that they like him now that he wouldn't be a threat to Biden if he ran as a independent, you know, so uh, or at least not a, a, as much of a, a, a threat. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering how many people just like the fact that he's going to take votes away from Biden or if they actually liked him as a person and as, uh, a, a, you know, his own personal philosophies and opinions and perspectives. So but I mean, I hope you know, we need to put an end to to all this, like having to join either of the two teams. I mean, we kind of called it ourselves. We've talked about it before when he first ran as a Democrat. Like, I understand his family has been lifelong Democrats and he has this connection to the party and he wanted to save the party and he wanted to or maybe rebuild it uh, the way it should be. Um, but it's so far gone that when he joined or said he was going to run as a Democrat, I think many of us were like confused. We're like, you think you can save this party? Like, they're just going to sabotage you the same they did to Bernie Sanders and whatever. Like, they don't care about you. They don't care about what you believe. Like, they don't believe in anything. They they believe in their own incentives and motives. Like, they don't care about, you know, like your own personal philosophies or the image of the Democratic Party that you think, you know, it should be. Like, none of that matters, you know? And, um, you know, so to me, like this is kind of what well, it turned out the way I expected it to turn out. I expected him to eventually have to 
become an independent because he realized like the Democrats aren't going to help him and he he's never going to win or have any chance running as a as a Democrat. And uh, but people need to get up like this is the thing that we keep saying over and over again. Like we have to create a a, a opportunity for third parties. We ha have to. And, you know, they should all be, you know, in the race. Libertarians, you know, you go to Europe and they have tons of different parties. And right. because in America, it's like we're so closed minded. That's all our ideas and perspectives and and all our opinions and all these complex issues fit in two boxes, either left yeah. or right, Republican yeah. or, or, you know, or. or yeah. Um, so it's it's an issue. It is an issue. And everyone needs to be careful because if you go back to 92 and we think about Ross Perot, Ross Perot threw a big monkey wrench in that and uh, prevented George H.W. Bush from becoming uh, second term president. And he was one of the most disgusting human beings in the world. But remember who it got us instead. We wound up getting Bill Clinton. Oh, yikes. So there's always that to uh, to think about. Ricky, where's the best place for people to find you? The Ripple Effect Podcast.com uh, or RickyVarandis.com. Either one will take you to the same place, and you can find all my links there. That's Ricky Verandis, everybody. Big thanks to Clint Russell in the first hour. You can check out his show, Liberty Lockdown, uh, wherever podcasts are available. I will be back tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. Don't burn the place down while I'm gone. Take care.